Hey, it's Matt. Will Rogers, the famous Western actor, said marketing is the art of convincing people to spend money they don't have on something they don't need. Well, today's guest is on a mission to prove that marketing is also a science, or as he says, it's not black magic. Join me and get to know Avi Kumar, an MBA-educated engineer turned marketer, as we talk about what math and marketing have in common besides adding dollars and cents, lessons learned in the leap from corporate to startup, and successes that you can steal. I am Avi Kumar, and I'm a primarily a marketer with a lot of technical background. And basically, I do marketing for other agencies, other clients. That's what I've been doing for 14 years now. As a child, I grew up in India. And uh, in India, at least uh, being from a kind of a lower middle class, my dad was an army. So our dinner table was more of a, we sit actually on ground to eat with a mat and the food is served there. And I'm the only child. So it was just three of us. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think uh, if I use the word humble, it'll sound much bigger. We were doing fine. Let's put it that way. But for, we were, uh, uh, pretty happy with the things and just being the only child and got all the attention from parents. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so that's, that was our uh, dinner table. Uh, yes. So my dad had, I would not say strong opinions, but he was clear about his views. Mm-hmm. So he would not mince his words uh, and things like few things. I mean, he talked about things like, Hey, if there is a, we were using a kerosene stove or something, he says, somebody could invent this. We cannot, why cannot we even fix it? Mm-hmm. So his idea was that, hey, we all have capabilities and there are people who have done so much more than us, then we can certainly do our part. That I was one that. lot of discussion on that. And other one was the discussion of the, even the, uh, we were a Hindu family in India, but his view was there is no reason to get anybody between you and God. Mm-hmm. I mean, these in-between people don't matter. You just believe what you want and work with that. You don't need mm-hmm. to get to the priest so that was so there were quite a few strong uh views he held he never pushed those but he said this is what i believe this is how it is so he will go by in in hindus usually when you go by a temple you bow down to it you put your head down kind of passing by as a respect and he'll do the same thing for a church or or for a for sikh ones and he said his thing was yeah i'm born a hindu but this is somebody's place of worship so i'm gonna lower my head for them too and I thought that was, I didn't know many people in India, even though it's a very, uh, uh, very uh, open society in the sense people respect religions is not that great now in some ways, but generally I didn't see many people doing that. So I kind of grew up with that idea of my dad has this very disciplined army guy, gets up in the morning, takes care of everything. Like, and that is how life is supposed to be lived. You're supposed to work hard. That's the only way to do things. So that's uh, really what I learned. Probably not. He was more, so that was a big transition for me. He was, because you work for army, you do well, you work hard. So his thing was get education, higher education, the better, better job, mm-hmm. get a job, work. So business was not something, but the managing money for sure, which is actually a very important skill if you run your own business, mm-hmm. that he got this, that tape. this is the budget. This is how the household is run. We never borrow from anybody. This is, we have to make do with this. Mm-hmm. And that's how it works. So that he was very clear on. And I learned that 
quite, you know, quite well about that. Hey, just figure out what you need to do with what you have. And the transition, which took me a little longer when I got into business and I, I did the same. I got education, worked for Intel, worked for Motorola, went up the ranks because that's the way to grow, right? Work for somebody else. And uh, uh, the transition when it happened for me was more so I was always told by um, my people in company, you are a startup guy, you're a startup guy. What are you doing at Intel? Because you kind of like to make things happen quickly, not wait for the process. I heard that way too much. Mm-hmm. So it was like one of those things, I got to do this now, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and coming from that conservative thing. And when you come to US, we, most of us immigrants who work through the system, we have to get our visa. Work visa requires a company sponsoring us, so we have to work for a company. You cannot self-sponsor yourself. Mm-hmm. So I did all that. And then when I was transitioning to business or doing my own thing, it was a hard, the biggest transition difficulty. I, I had no difficulty in being innovative, doing new things, making things to managing money. The biggest transition was this idea of that you can actually take investment or loan and grow your business. Mm-hmm. Because I was used to, hey, you are supposed to bootstrap means bootstrap. They should, yeah. even if the money is available, don't, you know, you're not supposed to because you don't know what will happen with that. So that's a more of a, uh, and then as I matured in the business, I realized, you know, all the businesses which have grown big, they do take money. They manage it still properly. Mm-hmm. So that took me a while, you know, and I, I would not say even now I'm 100% comfortable with it, but we are a much bigger business. So that's part of running the business. Mm-hmm. So we do, you know, standard things, whatever is necessary. So that is the only part which I had to actually change from my wife, change. my dad taught. Yeah. But managing money tightly, I've not changed. We still, yeah. I'm a cash flow person, uh, engineering background, so it makes it really easy to manage accounting. And we always are on top of what's with our numbers. You made a huge transition from the familiarity of your home country to the culture here in America. What were the similarities and differences that helped you or that sometimes held you back when you started living your life here in America? And I would not say that, like everybody, you know, what the term they use is golden handcuffs. Intel Mm -hmm. gives you a lot of, once you reach senior level, they give you a lot of uh, uh, stock options and they all mature over five years. So every year they give you more. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you look at and calculate that money, that's a lot of money. So there is no year you feel like you can leave. Mm-hmm. You know, right, you don't right. want to leave. So that's, yeah. that, was, that was definitely, I was on that treadmill a little bit. I'm thinking, man, it's a lot of money here. If I leave, I don't get my last four years, right? Which is not vested yet. And look at the options and all. This is, uh, this is like 2000, uh, before 2008. Intel was larger company, a lot of money, things mm-hmm. great. And I was doing very well. So it was very hard. But at the same time, I also... I did manage to, within Intel, form like new business groups and work with them. So it was a startup within the company. Mm-hmm. And those did well. But as soon as they do well in a big business, they bring in the standard corporate guys. So we did this all with 400 people. And they say, oh, this is doing well. Now we're going to put 200 people on top, including the people who know how to run this. And you guys don't know. And it completely changes to the standard corporate. Mm-hmm. So that's, I did manage to do that a couple of times at Intel. And I like that, that I can build this. And they'd never let me take it to the next level. I mean, they'll keep me around, but I cannot be the one running the 1200 one, right? Yeah. That's, that yeah. was their view. They bring in a senior vice president or somebody at that point. So, so I felt like, hey, I want to do this. Also, having been around here, already being a citizen and all, 
immigration issues were gone. I mean, there was no more worries about, hey, am I legal here? What happens with my paperwork? Do I need a sponsor? All that done. Uh, and Intel sabbatical came up, which they pay, I think, six weeks. And then I had some vacation. So it's like a long duration of paid time. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I got uh, an offer from Acer CTO asking me if I'll design their next laptop. And I was on sabbatical. So I said, yeah, it's, I'm off. I can do whatever. I'll go and do it. And he basically said he'll pay for it. And he needs, they need two lines. So it was one of those. So it's a, I would say, I cannot claim I was brave to start this because there's somebody already paying me money. That was enough money for uh, uh, what they were paying was enough for me to get Intel salary for eight months, not yeah. be without Intel salary. It was a yeah. pretty good chunk. I said, sure, I'll do it. And then when I started doing it, I was told uh, after three, four weeks, you know, we, we are, Acer is a big client of Intel. Avi, uh, the CTO told me, you cannot work there and do this. Intel will be unhappy with us. So you got to quit. And I said, oh, you know, it's perfect timing. You guys have given me enough money. I'm going to quit and start my design agency. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those, I would not call it accidental, but I was definitely, uh, I am not the story of people say, hey, I came with $1 to this country. I came with actually $30,000 as a bank draft, which I had saved, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So that kind of a story. And, and, and so same here, it's not like I took a major risk, but there was a risk. There was a fear of like, what will happen after a year? And those things did turn out true. After a year, man, that project was gone and you're looking for the next project and there's no project. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and so that's where I started learning how to deal with this, not having money, not having funding, what happens and still doing your business. Mm -hmm. But I had decided at that point, I mean, there was times I felt like Apple wanted me and things like that. Oh, can go to big company again. I said, this is never going to change if I keep leaving you know, yeah. or thinking about leaving. So that's, I said, I'm committed. This is what I'm doing. And, and, and uh, that was 15 years back now. Yeah. You know, entrepreneurs like us, we usually figure out early on that we have what Avi calls that startup brain. After all, who wants to wait for the process to develop? That's no fun, right? Being in the corporate world might be stable, I guess, but it can also get pretty damn dull for people like us. Wouldn't you agree, Avi? And for me, that's why it's so damn exciting to start a business. But there are risks too, though. Learn, wait, grow. That's a startup brain. And when you're out drumming up business, do you get the feeling most people really understand what true marketing really is? So the biggest challenge I think our customers have and this is again and again, anybody running a business who comes to marketing has, they think marketing is showbiz. Mm -hmm. It is not. So they talk about the website, they talk about the ta fancy tagline. It's, that's not marketing. So they keep telling us all the time, hey, I need my logo to be bigger, or I need this line. Oh, use my, I've got this. Uh, maxification is a term I invented. I want that in front. Clients don't know what is maxification. You just right, made up right. that term. Like it's great for your branding at some point. They just want to know that, hey, this maximizes something. You tell them. That's the biggest challenge. So they feel that you're not giving them this brilliant idea they had to use this phrase. And once the practical ones, once they get out, get out, get out of their own way and realize that, hey, your job in marketing is to grow you, not to make you famous, if you will. Of course, there is 
branding and everything mm-hmm. is there, but that's not the purpose. It's a purpose is to make money, more sales. And that's not, your intuition will not tell you that. Your testing will, mm-hmm. right? Don't go with that. I think this is how it is, right? Unless you are a, I think the closest person who has a real intuition about marketing is salesperson because they talk to customers. They do know what customers want. So anybody, I think, who comes from sales to marketing, I have a lot of respect for them because they know really what customer wants and how to say it. Uh, anybody else who just invented something and or a widget or a service and they think this is how it's going to be without actually testing with customers or is that's it it doesn't work necessarily so that is the usual challenge mm-hmm. and and uh, that telling them that hey it's not the website somebody i know some marketer told you just you need to just change the website you can change the website all day long it's the messaging so it's not about the pretty website is not going to suddenly get conversions if your messaging is not right, if your offer is not right, if somebody doesn't want your product, nothing is going to do anything for you. Like nothing marketers can do for you. That's the challenge. And we have had, in fact, I might have it signed here somewhere. Let me say, I have it saying that reject 80% clients. So I'm not saying here, we always do. And the reason we reject is just that. If they just don't get it, I just don't want them as a client. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they don't get the fact that end of the day, all you care about is sales. And they all say it. Everybody wants to make money, but they will come in their own way uh, and, and say, no, no, no. I think it's, it needs to be this way. And I, I, I'm not claiming that I already know the answer. I'm just saying is we don't know the answer, mm-hmm. but we know the process. Uh, and we know the process better than you because this is what I do. We do. So we're going to test it, figure out the right answer. So mm-hmm. don't... It, tell us exactly that, oh, this is how it needs to be right in the beginning, because that's not going to help your business, right? And other situations are the clients who have these great ideas, which uh, uh, we know will fail, because there are 10 other exactly like that better ideas. Mm-hmm. So it's a brand new invention. We had a, uh, it's been long enough, so I can talk about it probably, that doctor's group, they invented a chat. They said, it's a private chat to talk to doctors. I said, man, there are so many chats available. Why would you not just take somebody's third party client and yeah. that they said no 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 this is really meant only for doctors you know i said i don't see uh, uh, doctors and clients only i don't see the value i mean hipaa compliant there are chats already available they're available then so they, they really wanted to create the business and they we had to turn down their money they kept on saying we don't care i mean if it doesn't you just do it do the marketing for us i said just gonna fail this is one of those where i'll take your money i'm telling you in advance it'll fail mm-hmm. i mean it just that product is not needed i mean could you invented it? I mean, there might be angle, I don't know, but I cannot see why this is needed. So mm-hmm. there's no way I can compete. So we run into that. And so uh, also, and it's, it's sad because they did spend the money. They spent 100,000 to build this thing, right? Now I'm just telling them it's not a work. You yeah, know? yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, not a best place to be. So you've had a successful marketing business for about 15 years now. What would you say are some of the most valuable things that you've learned in that time? So, so one thing we have done is we have stopped working with brand new ideas mm-hmm. because I kind of said, I'm not a VC. I don't have enough foresight to be able to tell you this idea is great. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can market it, but it's going to be. So I said, I just don't want to even work there because there are others who are very good at seeing what is needed even before a marketer comes in, talk to them first. So what we do now is we say, hey, if you have a product or a service, it should have made some sales. And it could be, you talk to them word of mouth or whatever. 
and those there should be some people who like it. Uh, I mean, they they give you eighty out of hundred for that, and they can be a very small group. That's fine. If we don't have that, we will just not even start working. Once you have that, our view is this: that okay, there are people who like something about this enough. Now we just need to find enough people like that. So our process becomes at that point is we ask them the business questions: What are your net margins? And that's where they say, "What are you talking about?" I mean, your market director said, "No, what is your net margin?" And they will, if they're new, of course, their net margins will be not high. That's fine. What can you get to? If we have higher volume, let's 10x the volume. What will be the net margin at that point with the scaling? And they will give us a number. So if your net margin is, you know, your $100 thing you're selling and you have a $30 net margin, then our system is you will and should not ever spend more than $30 mm-hmm. to acquire a new customer. And this is a lifetime value. And we have translated lifetime value to what we call one-year value. Uh, almost nobody can calculate lifetime value. We just found pra- it's not practical. It's meant for this concept come from big companies who've been running for 10 years. They calculate the lifetime value. New companies don't have the lifetime. So we just yeah. tell them, just, so just do one-year value. If a client comes in in one year, how much money you'll make and how much is the net margin you'll save. So you'll make $100 from that client and you have $30 will be net after paying everybody all expenses. That's what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Great. $30 is max you should spend. Marketing is not exact because enough will not buy. So let's multiply that by 80%. So we will just take 80% of that your net margin is the maximum you should ever spend to acquire a customer is the number we start with, giving them a buffer. Yep. And then we start breaking it down. That is acquisition cost, which means, hey, from email to conversion at every stage, how much percentage we need. And, and we work that out, of course, actual reality will not be exact that, but at least having those steps broken down, mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot better than we, let's just try something. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and, and so we have targets and goals that even week one, before the ad actually even starts, we have already a target. Mm-hmm. Are we close to that or far? So we can adjust this. And that's where we, and then the process after that is testing, testing, testing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is nothing sacrosanct. Whatever you say, I don't care. I'm going to use different messages. I'm going to use different picture. Uh, I mean, we had uh, early days, we had these clients, they're saying, hey, they were, uh, they were, uh, 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 what are they called? The, I guess beauty school is a term we use, but they are cosmetology schools. Mm-hmm. And they kept on telling me, oh, it's a cosmetologist. I said, freaking, I don't know how to spell cosmetologist. Nobody's searching for cosmetologist. They're saying yeah. it's beautician license or something, right? They, yep. I mean, and, and that was one of those, like they kept on arguing, no, 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 do the ads for cosmetologist, right? And, and so those kind of things, they tell us that we say, no, I don't care, right? Let's yeah. see what people are actually asking for. What are they calling? Hairstyle. Hairstylist license is called, by the way, it's called an operator license. I don't know if anybody in the business, they will know, but it's called an operator license, but nobody searches. The term is operator license. Nobody searches for that. Nobody even knows that except the schools. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and so those kind of things. So the business will tell you because they know too much, actually, in some ways. They don't know what customer customer knows a lot. Letters we have le- lessers. We have to understand what customer knows and approach them. So then we'll come up with the right kind of ad set and be able to do this. Mm-hmm. So the system, again, to kind of go back is figure out the margin. Mm-hmm. That's why we don't work with completely start brand new mm-hmm. ones. Right. Uh, we will give them the ideas. They come to me, I'll tell them, this is what you think you should do. Don't spend money on this first. Don't build the website right away. Figure these things out. 
free. We'll give that free advice, but we will not, you're not ready to work with you. Go and sell some. Then figure out the structure that what the marketing should be. And at that point, and then there's other, there's other side too. People will say, oh, but my $30, why would I spend $30 all of it or even 80% of it on marketing? I said, hey, if you want to grow, yeah. you should. Every single dollar you should. And then, I mean, the easy example is, hey, if you made even $1, if you sold $1 billion, $1 billion of it, you'll be, should be happy, right? Mm-hmm. This is actual calculated system. So don't worry about that, right? So sometimes we run into that, but most cases people get that part. They're growing and, yeah. and, and, and they're willing to do that. And then we systemize, come up with the, uh, these are the things they need to do. This is how the sales will cost the whole structure. And of course, we don't participate in that, but we do track, in our case, we will actually, even as a marketers, we will make calls as customers to their sales team mm-hmm. and test it out. We are not the sales team because my view is, man, I'm going to send you this lead and your sales team is going to drop it. I want to know, at least be able to point it out to you that your sales team just doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, in yeah. this case, beauty school case, we kind of said, we called many schools. We called 15 schools and our customer, nobody reached back out to us for a week. Mm-hmm. And the competition is like within ours, I'm getting three calls and emails and everything. I said, so it's obvious they will win that, Yeah. right? So it's it's as simple as that. So it's not directly marketing, but this is something the follow-up is not there. If we can figure that out, the same dollar spent on marketing will go farther by fixing these kind of problems. So we actually approach it as a little bit more of a holistic, let's improve the business, but still as a marketer, I'm not here to fix your operations. I'm not the expert in that, but I do want to understand that. Sure. So it's, uh, yeah, I guess this is kind of a, one of those defense questions, but at every stage, I do believe, I mean, uh, 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 we probably will talk about this company. Uh, I acquired a company in November, uh, Invisible PPC. In fact, this morning we were doing, uh, so I like to go in, even though I have a whole team doing the ads. Once in a while, I'd say, let's analyze this account Mm -hmm. because being a technical guy, I just want to know what's going on. So one of the things which noticed, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to answer your question with this uh, stats point of view. They said, oh, there are five conversions in the last month. And these are client is willing to pay $80 per conversion and it's a little bit higher the cost. And then we are trying to make a decision. I said, statistically, five conversions is not enough. Mm-hmm. Don't make, so I approach it purely statistically. Did we have enough clicks? So everywhere it is like, hey, is it statistically significant number now? Mm-hmm. Then, and sometimes it's hard. Some things take thousands of dollars before something converts. So you're still not getting the stats, but mm-hmm. it is possible to statistically break down the messaging at least, headline, how many people yeah. clicked, how many viewed, and how many are going to the page. So that allows every stage, if you do a stat, then your decision process is robust. It's not going to be exact still, but it's it's a great starting point to build. And then once we have a one whole pipeline of this is the best statement, this is the best copy, this is the best ad, this is the best messaging, then we make that as the, everything else needs to compete against this. Mm-hmm. Now I'm open at that point to clients saying, I want to try this. I think this will work. No problem. I've got my baseline. We'll spend yeah. some money on your idea. And if it doesn't cut it, just not waste time, yeah. right? And everything yeah. has to beat this because we got something. So, so it is. So the answer is basically depending on where you are, those numbers needs to be statistically significant. And this is a purely a mathematical problem. There are enough uh, calculators online and all uh, where you just put the numbers in and it tell you that 
have you reached that convergence of statistics? If you have, then you're done, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise not. Certainly. So I think any marketer of any kind should learn copywriting. Mm-hmm. Is the first skill they should have. Even they need not be the best copywriter in the world, they should know. And uh, uh, one of the things we have done with our team is there are certain things we consider so core to the work, even if they're developer, mm-hmm. pure developers. I have a uh, subsidiary in India, they're developers. They are required to go through copywriting. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one way or the other, they'll be mixing something on the website and they can cache things quickly. This is wrong yeah. because they had the basic sense of copywriting at least, right? So what we found is that learning, at least what I found is that it seems common sense once you have studied it. But before that, it is not common sense. Mm-hmm. And it's a, not a natural thing. And it has nothing to do with your language skills. That was my scale. I mean, like English is my second, third or fourth language, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, So it was like this, oh, I'm going to be helping people market and with this language. No, grammar doesn't matter. No, doesn't, all those things don't matter. In fact, you know, uh, if you are too much into grammar, you'll probably, probably screw up the copy. Right. 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 So, so, so those kind of things is that you learn by reading. So uh, the approach, has, so there are quite a few good books which do copy and there is no one book which I can say, hey, this is the one which you get everything. Because yeah. uh, in fact, there is a recent one very, uh, and again, I just discovered this book through a blog. All the copywriting books that tell you what the headline should do and you require this, this, this. This book actually says how to do it. Okay. I might have a copy here. So because just got it recently and finished it. And I still read this stuff, by the way. Uh, this one. And what this one does is it actually tells you that he says how to actually come up with the 100 lines and reduce oh, wow. them down to two. How to get those 100 ideas. Yeah. And how to sit down, how much time it should take you to write what. So he actually goes into, so the, all the other books, they talk about how oh, you should have the hook. It should have, you know, in their own way, they explain all that, that what matters, you should be talking to the, not about you, but the customer. All those things are important. They need to be learned for sure for somebody who doesn't know know that, right? But uh, this one actually tells you that, hey, within one hour, you should produce 20 lines Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the bad lines are fine. Just write it. And so so this was the closest one I felt where it actually breaks down in a practical way uh, or it's almost like a, it's not set up as a workbook, but it would probably do great if he converted this to a workbook and said, uh, I might send him an email, just convert a work, workbook yeah. in which you just follow these steps and you know, and you will end up with a pretty good copy, pretty good copy, the best yeah. at least what, and, and of course, some people are a lot more talented than others. Yep. I mean, there's nothing you can compete against, but for average situation, you do really well, well following just this process, right? It's a headline copy, the thing which is a little bit misleading is it's not about copywriting. It's about only headline okay. is what he's focused on, which is the most important part of yeah. the copy. And, and it's, uh, uh, he, he references other books and all, has examples in there, why this copy is good. But the best part of this book is, I think, how to get you there's 100. I mean, like if you want the one good headline, you want 100 yeah. written. But the question is 100 written, 100? How will I get 100? I'm not getting two. You know, I have a block. So he actually breaks down the process, how to do that. And it's a practical process. It's not some magic med- med- uh, meditation or something. Yeah. It's just, this is how you do it, you know, yeah. and then love you can it. get it. Yeah, I love it. I, I, we, we, I tell people, start with those books. Yeah. Now, what happens is, what has changed is, now we are doing a website copy. The same concepts apply, 
But one of the things like there's other book, uh, uh, Don't Make Me Think is the book. It's a practical one. So what it goes to is that, hey, when you do a menu, I mean, the, the, even the concept of don't make me think, I think is brilliant. That's mm-hmm. only the book like says, hey, when I come to your user interface, if you make me think one microsecond extra, you've already failed, mm-hmm. right? It should be intuitive. So now that don't make me think does change with time. A home button was required 10 years back. Mm-hmm. People didn't, now everybody knows, click on the logo, you'll go to home. Right, that's right? true. That's very so, true. So certain things change because just users get used to doing certain things mm-hmm. certain way, right? And the, you know, the way to click and so it's natural as the time changes. So those aspects change, but the concept that don't make me think and make it simple, don't write too much on the page, it still is true. Mm-hmm. Like those copywriters say, hey, just focus on the few words, don't put too much there, you know? And that's true on a website. Mm-hmm. And then they also said, hey, if you truly have a good story, don't worry how long it is, tell the story. Still true. Mm-hmm. I, I just saw this on uh, LinkedIn, by the way, amazing copy. It's a bait and switch, but brilliant. This was just yesterday. Somebody posted that, uh, uh, I forget, uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, I guess, yeah. yeah. Amanda, so, Amanda, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what he said is that, what did uh, Amber say to Johnny Depp in the end? There is a, he put a picture where she's leaning by and saying something to him. And this was the case we know has done. So what was she saying in the end? And so, and there is a dialogue there. Obviously, everybody's curious. Right. And right. I was curious. I started reading the dialogue. Dialogue goes something, I'm going to just paraphrase. Basically, she says, you still love me? Look at me. Look at me once. At least look at me once. Come on, look at me. And, and the lawyer is saying, don't, no, don't look, don't look. And then she says, do you still love me? And goes on, so you're interested. And in the last line is, last paragraph is, Johnny Depp says, Johnny Depp, Listen, Amber, this is the last time we'll be talking. So pay attention. This John Doe, phone number 512XXX, is the best HR person in the world. Reach out to him now. Yeah. That post had like, like thousands of people reading it and liking it because they yeah. just wanted to read, right? Yeah. And it was by the guy whose number was there. Right? Yeah. It is bait and switch, but it's a beautiful bait and switch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like it's, funny at the same time. Very clever. Yeah, it's one of those things you think like, why didn't I think of it? You know, it's one of those. Right. So yeah. I absolutely love those kind of things. And I still look for them and try to do uh, things with those. Right. I, I love it. If I asked you what comes to mind when you think of a stellar success story that you can share with our listeners, what would you say? What, what story really stands out in your mind? One of the results we had, uh, amazing results, is uh, one of the clients, they make, uh, it's called fitovers. They make uh, sunglasses which go over glasses, prescription okay. glasses. Yep. So actually, in fact, he created uh, uh, the Paul Stables, the founder in Australia. Well, he was, he's Canadian, but he was in Australia. Now he actually lives in Austin. He created the category. Uh, I mean, there was no such thing. They were flip-ons. But yeah. this one is actually full set of glasses and they cover the whole glasses underneath. So he was, uh, and he's, he's been a few years now, and so I guess everything is public and so I can talk about it more openly. In his case, we started doing, we were doing marketing, helping. So first challenge they had was 
and this is a many companies wonder about that that they sold only through retailers uh-huh. and it's because it's actually in you know these prescription houses and other places they had these glasses too while you buy glasses you can buy this too and and that kind of a thing that's only the way they sold and i told them why don't you sell directly on your website because you have like 24 models for all different sizes and everything so the answer was oh no 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 our retailers will be upset so what do you sell at retailers and, and the numbers might be still wrong I might have them wrong but i think the retailers sell it at 49 dollars mm-hmm. they used to sell it 49 dollars he sells i mean what do you sell it at he sells it he, he sells to the retailers at 25 dollars and they sell it 49 okay great uh, 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 and the cost is made in china 7 8 dollars yeah so enough margin there so i said you know build a website you're going to sell it at 79.99 on your website mm-hmm. he said why would anybody buy you can just get it on retail 49 i said and and the retailers first oh he said retailers will be upset i said no just tell the retailers tell every all your customers this actually is 79.99 i'm giving you to 49 you can yeah. check it out on their website right and yeah. we'll put it up all the all products on 79.99 and i said strike he said oh, nobody will buy he started selling now this is a brand very well known by now fitovers people search and which site shows up first fitovers.com mm-hmm. and there are a lot of people they want to buy genuine fitovers Mm-hmm. because they believe the others might be fake and not good quality because they he made pretty good glasses uh, you know so he had amazing sales on the website amazing sales at 79.99 now that 79.99 the cost is $7 he's making a lot of yeah. money no at kidding. that point right and and no retailer is upset yeah right because hey, they're happy like yeah. hey i'm selling it even cheaper i got a deal right and 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 of course there is a things you can do like coupons once a while for twenty dollars and you can sell for fifty nine to your list once you have a list. So mm-hmm. you know we could just send an email and suddenly one email and there is one hundred and fifty thousand dollars more made by two days, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of a thing. We set up this whole thing. So we took over the marketing, and 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 then as these things progressed, he he stopped and everything was going great. And he tells me. Hey, let's not do this now. We build a uh, also as a uh, I look at it holistically. So we build a thing where you could try on your glasses. Mm-hmm. So our, our our team actually our coders built that for us. And and we in fact we being an engineer we had some technology we applied for patenting there the way, way it is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did all that, and he suddenly said, "Oh, uh, let's not spend money on this and all." So I said, "Paul, everything is going great. Why would he not spend more money?" So I said, Paul, are you selling the company? He tells me, oh, let's, let's walk out. He said, yes, nobody knows I want to sell the company. I said, if you truly want to sell the company, yeah. you should leave me a little bit more, give me more freedom. And I'm going to double or triple your stuff. Yeah. Because you want to show that growth. He said, okay. I said, give the handover the marketing completely to us. Fractional CMO is the thing which that's where we started formally, actually. Mm-hmm. We will run it all. I don't need anybody in house here because those guys are supposed to be liaisons, but they kind of just saying yes to whatever we say. They don't know much. They stay with you for a couple of years. They learn and they move on to the next job. You have these young people, they learn on your job and they make, you don't need all that. We'll do it. We did it. The return was for every dollar spent on marketing, we calculated the numbers. After uh, 18 months or so, he got $7 wow. back. Wow. So, uh, and... This is all documented, including the salaries and everything, including our fees and everything is included in there. Mm-hmm. And, and then he sold the company to a, a, a much larger company. 
uh, I guess the amount I cannot tell you how much he sold for, but mm-hmm. for pretty, pretty good chunk. And that company is a $300 million publicly listed company, Hilco Corporation. They make parts for glasses and all. They could not, they loved the stuff we had done so much, even though they had a 40 people marketing team, they couldn't figure out how we did this, mm-hmm. how we do this. They kept us around for a year, paid us the same money for a year yeah. and before their marketing team will take over. So that's a, that's a, one of the examples of where we were fortunate to find the right opportunity. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I mean, I always wonder about like Southwest Airlines did really well and the marketing agency was uh, GSTNM. Did they do well because of GSTNM or it was in spite of GSTNM? Sometimes you don't right. know, right? right. It was right. just the right company. So yeah. uh, who'd help? I mean, probably both. But so sometimes in marketing, we don't know that. We just got the right company. In this case, I think we did get the right company at the right time. And at the same time, we did add some interesting value to them, right? So uh, these are the kind of the few where we have done. I'm very proud of that. Hey, I feel like I'd love that. we cannot claim all because we still had the right product. Yeah. But I think we, it's quite clear, at least in our minds, that we made a difference. Yeah, yeah. And those are very satisfying for sure. So fractional CMO is the idea that, hey, you're not large enough to have a full CMO. So get somebody executive level guiding you this. Because if you think about this advice was business CMO level advice, what Mm -hmm. to do with the pricing and all. This is not a traditional marketing, oh, I'm going to do your ads, I'm going to do your website kind of advice, right? So that's the CMO. So that's where we formalize that uh, thing that we're going to give you a fractional. So you pay much smaller amount for that consulting, for that person to be CMO. In this case, we were not that large that so, and this was interesting enough. So I became the CMO while the team was doing the work. So I gave the advice and he paid me for consulting. I did it myself, actually, this one. Uh, and But we have fractional, multiple CMOs who handle other clients. Then other situation is, and this has worked very well also, that they have a full CMO, but they want to go, say, e-commerce or some other place mm-hmm. where the CMO is not an expert. So you get an additional fractional CMO who helps you get into that new market. Mm-hmm. And after six to nine months, you could decide, not to have the CMO around and take it in-house or keep them some cases. We have some, some situations we have customers for now, five years. Mm-hmm. They keep the fractional CMO level of engagement throughout because they feel like just for this fixed money, having this executive level advice, what to do or not do is totally worth it. Yeah. Right? So that's the, that's, the, that's the model we started using uh, 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 with our customers for. Now we've been doing that for five years. I love it. So in fact, now we only engage with that model in the sense we don't do, somebody says, just do Facebook ads. We don't do it. Uh, mm-hmm. We say, hey, you got to get the whole strategy, figure it out. Do you even need Facebook ads? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And we're not going to be just a fulfillment house for one small part. We are probably too small or too greedy. We take on everybody yeah. you know, right now. Uh, uh, but we do, we have ended up getting more clients in some areas. And other way we can deal with we just get the right CMO who knows the industry better mm-hmm. as a fractional CMO. Sometimes you'll get them from outside and see if they'll work with our model. So that's, but we have found e-commerce is one area we ended up working quite a lot. We ended up working in insurance quite a lot, uh, some B2B businesses. So some areas we have ended up just getting more experience mm-hmm. with our team. But right now we are agnostic uh, and we kind of, we'll still follow the general principles I was talking about where we don't understand your business or we don't know what's happening. We will not get on. And this mm-hmm. startup, this is common. Sometimes if they cannot, I don't care if they got funding. If I cannot understand why and how you're doing this, we will not work. 
Yeah. Because if we cannot understand why you exist and what you're doing, and if you cannot explain to your own people in house, and there's a confusion, there is no way I can explain it to customers. Yeah. Right. Sure. You know. Yep. So and and we there are quite a few like that. They have the yeah. money and everything, but just not clear what they're doing. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If today's topic hit a note for you, head over to episode number 91 for more expert marketing advice on how to grow your business. Odds are, if you're hearing my voice right now, you may be a self-made business owner who feels like living the dream, but the problem is I'm completely unhappy and unfulfilled. And it's like, I looked at my life and I'm like, I should be happy. This is so frustrating. I sacrificed so much and I worked so hard to get to this point just to realize that I'm unhappy and I'm unfulfilled. Then yes, this podcast is here to help. My life goal, probably much like yours, is to leave a lasting legacy that mattered. On the Pass the Secret Sauce podcast, I share with you everything that I've learned and uncovered from other successful entrepreneurs about building a business and a life with the financial freedom that allows us to give back to others. Let's face it though, it's going to take years for me to share what I know and what I'm able to learn from others in these free weekly episodes. And the truth is, you know, here's the idea, it's fully fleshed out. No, the thing is, you're never gonna have a lightning bolt perfect idea. Like, it always starts with little things. So if you are waiting for that lightning bolt to come, it's not gonna happen. You need to take action now. If you're really committed to leaving a legacy that mattered by improving your life and your business faster than you could solo, then I sincerely invite you to our Secret Sauce Mastermind. This is a program that I put together so that I can rub elbows with and learn frameworks and systems from extremely skilled and successful individuals. That way, every member, myself included, can shortcut our learning curves. Unlike many masterminds where content is static, we poll our members monthly to find out what the most common struggles are currently, and then we leverage our network and the power of the podcast to bring in experts to help brainstorm unique solutions to our problems. You'll be able to interact directly with our experts on live Zoom calls and also be able to reference our growing historical content library. As a group, we will guide each other through personal and professional challenges while you incubate your legacy in a group who understands not just your goals, but also what makes you, you. If you're interested in applying for the mastermind, simply email application at passthesecretsauce.com. And as always, remember, pass the secret sauce.